Hello and welcome to the Flex. It's Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie, aka White Cheddar. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> yeah, Joe's eating the eating the cheese it's by the handful over there. I'm a little bit jealous. I think I'm gonna have to go to the store and get some of the extra toasty ones. Yeah, I love Cheez Its. Yeah. Oh my god. I could eat so many of them. I I've eaten like I'll, I'll eat a box in a sitting if I'm not careful. Cheez Its are the kind of snack where it's like you need to have a couple of handfuls and put the box away or the, you're killing the entire box. There's yeah, no like in between. Puts, up, puts them on a plate and put the box back in the cabinet. Like, yeah, <laughs> they're a dangerous, dangerous snack. They really, really are. Speaking of dangerous, it's the Providence Friars very dangerous in Washington, D.C. today, running Georgetown out of that building. 88-68 win in a game that after the opening minutes really wasn't that close uh, we're going to be getting into this before we do. Just a reminder, sponsored by SeatGeek. We've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download the wrap, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. And as always, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. All right, Joe, what are your, your initial takeaways on this win? My initial takeaways right now, shameless plug, while you're on House Enterprise, get your Flex merch. I'm wearing my T-shirt right now. Get Gotta it. You have, it. you have a couple couple of weeks left before we hit MSG. You want to get your merch before then. To the game itself, biggest takeaways, obviously, Ed Croswell. He played really, really well today. He had, what was it, I think 15 and 9 at halftime. I mean, that's the kind of stat line you'd see at the end of a game. Um, he was really, you know, just imposing his will down low. He was playing in a variety of different ways. He's good around the rim, and he capped it off by taking a three, which I thought was the best part of the whole game. Oh, man. If that went in, oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, um, Ed Croswell, really, really good. Um I also thought what was interesting is like the dynamic without Bryce Hopkins, who picked up three early fouls. Um, I thought Clifton Moore gave some really good minutes off the bench in place of Hopkins when you slid Croswell up to the four. Um, and, you know, that was really kind of the story of the game is how the role-playing guys, or I guess really not role-playing guys because it's Carter and Croswell who are the second and third leading scorer on the team, but how those backup guys filled the shoes of Hopkins while he was on the bench. Bynum had a really good game. He shot what was it? Six. He made six threes, six of nine from yeah. deep. Um, just, uh, I thought it was a really good team win and a really good bounce back win following the loss at UConn earlier this week. Um, you could tell in that post game press conference, you know, Ed uh, Cooley was fired up after that loss. Um, so I'm happy they bounced back. This was a good tune up game to prep us for later this week, but all in all, just a, a really good solid bounce back win. Um, feel badly for Patrick Ewing. He kind of looked uh, morally deflated yeah. on the sidelines. There. I, don't, I, I don't even know if he stood during the game. That's how bad yeah. it was. Yeah, that was – I don't know what's going on at Georgetown with this too. Uh, you had all kinds of fans with signs getting confiscated and students being told that there were going to be repercussions for having signs at the game. And that's uh, a, whole, a whole thing over there. So obviously we'll see where Georgetown goes after this. This is likely – the last home game of the Patrick Ewing era. If it isn't, I think we are all collectively going to be shocked if they bring him back for another season after this. Now, I was impressed with that run Georgetown had to start the second half. They hit a couple mm -hmm. threes. They got going. 
they got talented players, but the defense, they can't, they can't stop anything at three point line. The Friars were regularly getting open looks on the outside. Guys hit them today. Jared Bynum is back. He's at 10 threes this week. Noah Locke was knocking him down. Devin Carter hit some. And that opens up the inside. Then Ed Croswell just got to go to work. And no kudos Wahab today, too, which helped him out. And he looked as good as you would expect Ed Croswell to look against the second string center on the worst team in the Big East. Uh, yeah, I, Ed Croswell definitely had the. Um experience playing time he had every advantage possible today uh, <laughs> in the paint so um not necessarily surprised by his performance but more so pleased um and you're right matt you know the georgetown defensively is just it, bad yikes uh, it's just it, I, I think the embodiment of this is noah Locke had had a dribble drive penetration in the first half got bodied a little bit, and Alan Breed was just wide open on the wing. And I get it. You know, Donnie Marshall pointed it out on the on the call is that Noah Locke's a better shooter, so you want to collapse in on him. But you can't leave Alan Breed wide open like that. Like, it's not like Breed is Andre Jackson from UConn where he's not going to make that. Like, Breed is a pretty consistent shooter. You can't leave him wide open. And I think that play is just a microcosm of, of the day for Georgetown defensively. They just – they put together some good offensive strings. I think the twelve-one run to come out of the out of halftime was really good. But then yeah. on the, on the other end, they just no composure defensively, and Providence kind of scored at ease, and the result was eighty-eight points on the board. So, yeah, and that's this is a Georgetown defense that is two hundred and thirty-first in efficiency. They're three hundred and forty-ninth in three-point field goal percentage allowed. On average, teams shoot the ball at 38% against them after this one, which is just like that. Yikes. Yeah, and then the Friars are a good team, and they don't take a lot of threes, but they hit the ones that they do get. And Bynum, look, Bynum looks back right now. This is the best he's looked all season. Yeah, Jared Bynum looked like a, a man inspired today. And I, I don't know what really happened with him in the second half of that UConn game. I don't know if it was injury. He was limping after um, – that when I think he fouled Jordan Hawkins taking a three. Uh, I'm not really sure what happened to him, but he didn't play for a majority of the second half. Came out today, hit three of his first four attempts from deep, and then kind of just, you know, the ball kept rolling. This was very similar to his performance from last season when he went seven of eight from deep, which he actually, uh, I think it was Kevin Farhar tweeted that out earlier, that the last time Jared Bynum hit six plus threes was in this building a year ago. So, um he looks really good. He also, I thought he was he was really good with dishing the ball out as well. And obviously he tied with Ed Croswell with six assists on the game. So that chief of dimes belt is going to have to be shared. Actually, if you look at Croswell's stat line, he's going to win that dude, chief of dimes and king of the board. So uh, good night for him. But uh, back to Bynum, just offensively playmaking six assists. He was he was back to form, and this is the Jared Bynum that I think a lot of us have been waiting for from the fan side of things to see for most of the season. He looks, you know, this week he looks back, and I think that's really good because this is an important stretch of the season here where uh, Big East tournament seeding and matchup implications are on the line, and you need Jared Bynum to be on in order to, you know, improve your chances of a favorable draw at MSG. Yeah, and it's I think the Friars are in a good spot now. With this win, you pick up, I believe, just any other win, and you're locked into a three-seed at worst, I believe is where they're at right now, or Creighton loss. Yep. So that'll keep you out of the UConn-Marquette 
side of things, which I think is you don't want to be on that side right now. No. And I think Nev, you beat Xavier Wednesday night. You should be the two seed, assuming you beat Seton Hall. If you beat Seton Hall, Villanova plays Seton Hall. I think that's a Tuesday night game, which yep. will be a very interesting one. If they win that one and Providence beats Seton Hall, Seton Hall will be the seven. They'll play DePaul. Providence will play the winner of that. I think that's probably the best possible outcome here for the Friars. And all to get that, all they have to do is what they've done all year, and that's win the home games. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's kind of drawn up ever so perfectly to say that, you know, our destiny is in our hands right now, you know. We come home, Cooley called it the crib in the post-game press conference. Uh, you, you come home where the Friars are undefeated this season, and you have Xavier, who you have yet to beat. I think Xavier is the only team in the conference we haven't beaten yet this year. You have a chance to split with them, and then you take care of business with the opportunity to sweep Seton Hall, and then you ideally will earn a two-seed at the Garden, which I think is best-case scenario with respect to seeding, draw, who you're going to play. Like you said, Matt, I don't want to be in the 4-5 game against UConn. And quite honestly, I don't want to be a three-seed facing a Villanova team on no. late on Thursday night either. So I think best-case scenario here is you, you got to win out. you got to take care of business on, at, on home court and you know ride that into the garden. Yeah, and, and no matter what happens, from here on out, you're going to have to earn all of your wins. Yeah. Xavier is a very good team coming to town on Wednesday. Seton Hall, they're probably not making the tournament at this point, but it's a very physical, competitive team. They'll grind you down. Not an easy win by any stretch. No. Then likely whoever you're getting on Thursday might be Seton Hall again, might be Villanova teams that are, are very good. And then obviously once you get to Friday, barring a Georgetown miracle run again, you're, you're going to be facing a pretty talented team. So yep. you make it to the tournament. Like it's you're earning your wins from here on out. And it's nice to see the team not mess up the freebie that you get on Sunday afternoon at Capital One against Georgetown. Not only do you go down there and win, you do it by 20 points. You do it in a game that's really never all that competitive outside of the opening minutes. Yeah. That's what we've wanted to see from Providence all year long. And you look at this game, the game of Butler, the game of DePaul. Like, I understand there's a narrative that this team doesn't play well on the road. And I don't buy into that at all because when they play bad teams on the road, they absolutely demolish them with the exception of a bad performance at St. John's and yep. a couple games where they're without Bynum. And I don't think it's a bad team on the road. I think there's just some really good home environments in the Big East. Right. And I, I really appreciate the point you just brought up about, you know, the, the, the road and the narrative of Providence playing on the road. Casey Jacobson uh, in the, the pregame show was talking about how Providence has dropped three road games in the month of February and how that's not like Ed Cooley's team. Well, let's keep in mind here. Two of those three road games were at 16th ranked Xavier in which you lost by two points in overtime and you had the ball in Jared Bynum's hands and he had a three pointer rim out to win the game. The second one was at a surging UConn and you lost by 20. So those aren't necessarily terrible road losses. Obviously you have the St. John's loss at MSG sandwich in there. That one's not great, but you lost that two ranked opponents. Like that's a trend that we've been seeing across the conference. This isn't something that's uniquely terrible for Providence. Creighton has lost on the road. Marquette has lost on the road. Xavier has lost on the road. Connecticut has the, lost on the road. It, it's, it's the not, Mar it's the Marquette win at Creighton is the real, and that and the Xavier right. win at UConn are the two like aberrations here. Right. So it's not necessarily that this is some yeah. unique plague that has hit the Friars. And in fact, with today's game, you're five and five on the road in conference play. You lost the teams that 
you were supposed to lose to on the road minus St. John's and you beat all the teams that you were supposed to beat on the road. So it, you're good. Yeah. Like it's not a bad narrative. It's just if you people yeah. are spinning it. Yeah. And it's part of it is this team doesn't have a good road or neutral site win all season. Mm-mm. And that's because they kind of, they blew the non-conference had opportunities, didn't take advantage of them. Weren't playing good basketball. Then they played better basketball. Right. I'm not necessarily sure. Obviously, they say past performance is the best indicator of future performance. But also, it's like the last time this team played on a neutral site, it was a different team. I, do we see this team no-show a game again like they did against St. John's or to an extent against UConn? Probably not. I would doubt that. So let's see what happens at MSG. If they, if they lose the first game at MSG, yeah, I think you might have, might have some concerns about what this team will do in the tournament. But let's let's get there. Let's cross that bridge first. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, even if you look back at the non-con, this is a, a team that was still looking for its identity. You had five new starters. And I know you can make the argument about Jared Bynum being a sixth starter. You had five new starters from last year's uh, starting five. And you're really you're incorporating three of them are transfers. So it's OK to drop those games. And I think. Uh, this is the time of year when, you know, your your wins and your losses across the entirety of the season start getting nitpicked as we get closer and closer to Selection Sunday. What's most important is that, you know, Providence has picked it up since then. Their team is gelling. And now you've got two players on this roster who are in the conversation, if not the leaders for all league selections in Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter. So, you know, the, the, this is the the nature of college basketball. There's a lot of change that occurs over the course of the yeah. season. What you get in November is different from what you get in February, which is different from what you get in March. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of Big East teams playing good basketball too right now. So, like, it's it's not just Providence, and that's what's going to make the Big East tournament incredible this year. Yeah. Is I think you got a lot of teams playing good ball. Uh, one th- one situation to monitor as we look forward to is Zach Fremantle. He could be back for Wednesday. We don't have any any answers, any specifics on that, but the timetable was given to be a month or four weeks. And yeah. This is the four-week mark. So this is the first first time where I think you're, there's a legit thought he'll come back. I know he's been warming up with the team, so we'll see what happens. I think if he plays, that might actually be a good thing for the Friars. It's Obviously, Xavier will be deeper, so it comes with its pros and cons, but when he's out there, I think that's better for Bryce Hopkins. I agree. Um, No, I I totally agree. And also if I'm on the Xavier side of things, I would be cautious with the return of Zach Fremantle. You know, if you're in this four week window and this is now week four or week five or whatever you want to call it. And Fremantle isn't necessarily a hundred percent. I would cautiously put him back out there just because you don't want to risk him re-injuring that before the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament. But like you said, Matt, is Fremantle defensively on Hopkins' advantage Friars. So from our side of things, wouldn't necessarily hate to see him out there guarding Bryce Hopkins, given, you know, the stellar performance that was produced by Jerome Hunter last time around. Yeah. Well, I think one of the other things, uh, you go back to the UConn game. Oh, and one of the things that stood out to me in that game was how Alex Caravan kind of learned from the mm-hmm. first matchup and played much, much, much better the second time around. Regardless of if Fremantle plays, Bryce Hopkins is going to see a lot of Jerome Hunter on Wednesday. Yep. This is his opportunity to show he can do the same thing. Bryce Hopkins is basically a freshman for his experience. He's not that much more experienced than Caravan is. They're very similar spots in their development curve. And this is where you go, okay. Let's we'll take the lessons from the first game, learn from it, add things to the game, show off something new, beat them the second time. Yeah. And that would be huge for Hopkins. I, I'm not sure, especially given 
his performance against UConn and basically not playing today. I think he might be out of the Big East Player of the Year race. Combine that with Tyler Kolick's stuff. Um, yeah. It, we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see the way that this shakes out because I feel like historically speaking, the Big East Player of the Year is the best player on the best team. And yeah. all signs would point to, you know, that Tyler Kolak making sense with that said, in terms of just dominance on the floor, I think Sule boom and Bryce Hopkins have a better argument than Kolak. So it's definitely an interesting race here at the top. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a, a multiplayer award given this year, we've seen that in the past where two or yeah. three players have shared it. Um, again, that's something the yeah. coaches vote on. So it's going to be interesting to see because one team might have a, a bad defensive backcourt and might hate Tyler Kolak and, and say, Oh, he's the player of the year. Whereas another team might have a terrible defensive front court and think, Oh no, no, no. It's Bryce Hopkins. He's impossible to stop. So yeah. it, it, it really comes down so, to how the coaches view these guys. Yeah. I'm very intrigued to see how the, the, the honors look when that comes out too. Cause it's like, I, where does Adama snow go end up? Where does Jordan Hawkins end up for UConn? Those are two guys I'm curious about. Baylor Shireman, Colby Jones, mm-hmm. alongside Bryce Hopkins, all play in that wing. It'll be interesting to see how it comes down. And hey, here's the thing for Bryce Hopkins. If he doesn't win Biggie's player of the year this year, assuming he comes back next year, he's yeah. going to have a real good shot at it. He might be the favorite coming into the season. We'll see which Biggie's players come back. I assume if Kolek wins it, and I assume he's the favorite at this point, I'm also assuming he's back next year, so he's going to have a chance to return it. So it's uh, this is a that, lot. I mean, the NIL era means a lot of players can come back that wouldn't have previously. You you might it, it, for comparison, if you look back at the 2018-2019 season and then the 2019-2020 season, you could very well have a situation where it's Marcus Howard from Marquette that won it 2018-2019, and then Miles Powell wins it the following year, where it's just a neck and neck race between two returning seniors that are, are just impressive impressive players. So. Uh, definitely interesting to watch uh, with that regard, um, especially as we enter the final week of play here. Yeah. Uh, and while we're talking awards, after watching Kalkbrenner in the past week, I think Devin Carter would easily get my vote for defensive player of the year. I agree. And I think, and I think part of that too, I think there's going to be voter fatigue. I don't think people want to vote for the same guy back to back unless he's really good the second year. And I don't think Kalkbrenner has been that. Yeah. And he's a guy... I, if you go back two, three weeks, I probably would have had Kalkbrenner as my player of the year in the conference until Creighton dropped the games that it's dropped. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing now out of Kalkbrenner and Creighton is that, you know, there was a narrative early on in Big East play and uh, really throughout the first half of the season that Kalkbrenner was so important to what Creighton does. And that's not necessarily false because he really is. But I think what we're seeing now is teams are learning to play around Kalkbrenner and you're seeing that his size defensively it almost serves as a disadvantage disadvantage to him when he's faced with some of these smaller big men that are savvier. I think of Ed Croswell. I think of Eric Dixon. I think of, you know, Joel Soriano, like these smaller bigs that are, I mean, not necessarily small in size, but small compared to Ryan Kalk. Finesse play. Yeah. These finesse bigs are kind of having their way with Kalkbrenner, who kind of looks a little gumpy when he's trying to guard them. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, and that's, yeah, and that's, I think, what makes the Big East so interesting mm-hmm. and what's made the Big East Player of the Year race so hard is that you might have six bigs that have an argument for Big East Player of the Year if you look at uh, their best performances. Um, yeah, And there's almost a, a rock, paper, scissors nature to it where different guys are all good at different things. Mm-hmm. And so when they play each other, 
you end up with all kinds of different outings. Or look at uh, look at Croswell and Snowgoat too. I think the two of them play the game in very similar ways, and each one won one meeting against the other one. Yeah. So you end up with all you end up with all these dead heats across the conference, and it's just all of the big men are good. Somebody's gonna get. Somebody's not even gonna get an honorable mention as a center in this conference that could be a first team guy in another conference. I was, you know, the past couple of days I've been going through who I think my predictions for first team, second team, honorable mention, all freshmen, whatnot. And I've been having a very difficult time. Like last night I was sitting on the couch doing it and had an oh shit moment. Excuse my French because I forgot about Joel Soriano. And here I am thinking yeah. like because St. John's is so bad, like you forget their best player who is a walking double double. If Joel Soriano played on a better team, he would be Biggie's player of the year. <laughs> right. Like. I have him in my first team just because of his stats alone, but yeah, there's a good chance he winds up on second team or honorable mention just because of the way St. John's has played and because of the level of competition in the front court alone. So it's really, it's an interesting dynamic this year in the big East because the top five teams are really good, but that doesn't mean that the bottom six have bad players. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And we're going to see that on full display on Wednesday night with Jack Nunji against Ed Croswell. These are two guys who are probably fighting for honorable mention, which right. is insane <laughs> yeah. with how well they've played. Um, and two very different styles. Nunji is much bigger, can step out and shoot the three, not as good on defense. Croswell, very defensively sound, an offensive rebound machine. Yep. And they're, uh, they're both finesse players, but mm-hmm. in very different ways. It's, it's weird calling Croswell a finesse player given how strong he is. He's strength on defense. He's finesse on offense. Uh, yeah. But, but they're uh, two, I don't know, they fall within the same category of center, but play the game in very different ways. And that's going to make Wednesday night very interesting to watch. Yeah, I'm excited for Wednesday night. I mean, this really is one of, if not the most important game of the season for Providence. And I know I've said that a lot on this podcast, so you can quote me on that. But this this... This comes down to it. Like, this is the one team in the conference that you haven't beaten. It's the one team in the conference that sits ahead of you in the standings because you haven't beaten them, regardless of record. If you beat Xavier and then you take care of business against Seton Hall, you beat them out for the two seed, and then you basically control the the, the destiny of your matchup at MSG. And then everything else yeah. still has to play out, and you can't control what Villanova does and what Seton Hall does down the stretch here. But you take care of business at home and you do what you're supposed to do and what, you know, the home court advantage says you're going to do and you're the two seed. And that's really the the most ideal outcome here. Yeah. And I mean, just think about that. Think about where this team was in November. And now you're in a position where you control your destiny to finish second place in the big East a year after winning it for the first time ever. This is quite a turnaround for this program. It's incredibly impressive. It really is. And I know Shaka Smart is the most deserving coach uh, for coach of the year. I think not only in the conference, but nationally with what he did with Marquette. But I, I think if you look at the, the coaching job that Ed Cooley has produced this season, losing all five starters from a sweet 16 team that held the eventual national champions to a five point victory to now you take a, a, a disjointed group in the non-conference and turn them into a consistent top 25 team throughout the majority of conference play, fighting for a, a two-seed at MSG for the Big East tournament. That's a really good coaching job, and Cooley deserves all the flowers in the world for that. Uh, he's just yeah. – he, yeah. he, he's, he's thrived in the transfer portal era. 
Yeah, and that's something we brought this up at the very beginning of the season. Something I've said is that this year is where he earns that coach of the year reputation, being able to run it back and say it wasn't a flash in the pan. And he's done that. He's absolutely lived up to that standard, which is why it's so hard to win the award multiple times because you're held to that standard. And it's, okay, you did that. Now how do you do it better? Yep. And that's – I don't know if he's done it better. It's hard to do it better than he did it last season. But the fact that we're comparing him to that, like that's what we're holding them up against, not the the – 2014 team or the 2019 yeah. team or anything like that like it's no it's it's we want them to repeat we're trying to go back to back here and that's yeah. when you're at that point in a conference that's when you know the coach has that reputation he's that res- well respected by his peers and he's one of the best in the business and I think too this is a very timely season for Ed Cooley to be doing this because if you look at now Jay Wright is out of the conference and he was you know I personally don't like him but it's hard to argue that he was the Big East's darling you know he was the face of the conference he was you know receiving all these accolades for so many years you needed someone to kind of step in and fill those shoes fill, fill that national reputation for okay this is the guy you think of when you think of the Big East and now that Jay Wright's gone I, you know the argument can be made that it's uh, you know a split between between uh, Coach Cooley and Coach McDermott from Creighton. I'd throw Shaka Smart in there too after this season. But uh, specifically with Cooley, I want to talk about, you know, the level of respect that he has for other coaches. Because I think if you look at the end of the way, oh, the way the game ended today, Providence was up, I think it was 16 or 18 with about a minute 40 left. And Cooley takes all the starters out and puts all the bench guys in. And this was completely done in an, in an effort to not embarrass Patrick Ewing and Georgetown on senior night. And listen, it's much easier to say that after you beat them by double figures in convincing fashion. But if you just look at the style of Ed Cooley, even when Alan Breed was taking those shots, you know, with less than a minute left and Cooley's kind of pointing at him like, okay, the shot clock is winding down. You stand at midcourt. The difference in coach Cooley there versus you look at Dan Hurley last game, UConn is up 20 and Hurley's drawing up plays for them to shoot threes with 40 seconds left. And then is smiling as guys are, are hitting them. Like there's a difference in, the level of respect with and for other coaches between Cooley and Hurley. Yeah. And I think that was on full display today. I mean, poor Patrick Ewing didn't stand the entire game and, you know, Cooley did the right thing at the end there. Yeah. And it felt like a lame duck session for Georgetown too. Yeah. Everybody knows what's going on and yeah. they're just they're waiting, just waiting. I will note the Friars are now as high as they've been in Ken Palm all season. They're up to number 27 in the country after this one. They were, they were expected to win by 10, and they won by 20. So that'll help <laughs> your numbers. And putting up that many points, even for as bad as Georgetown defense is, putting up that many points is impressive. And That's without Bryce Hopkins, which the stats don't take into account there. But he's yeah doesn't give you much. He doesn't really play. So uh, that's awesome. I also I have a stat for you because this was uh, some somebody on Twitter had requested this. Since 2010-2011, Ed Croswell is only the seventh player to have 25 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, and three blocks in a game. Wow. And only one of the other ones was against a power conference opponent. The player to do that was Talon Horton Tucker, who's now in the NBA. And the only other guy on a power conference team to do it was Ben Simmons at LSU. That's impressive. I I mean... What do they call them? Cheese? Good, good for cheese. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, so that's a that's a big win for the Friars, yeah. and that's I think you compare it to last season, 
I can't like the one game I can never get out of my head from last year is the home game against DePaul late in the year where DePaul comes in, sends you to overtime. Yep. And this was just the antithesis of that. Like, and they've done that all year long. That's a difference for the Friars. With the exception of that one road game against St. John's at MSG, mm-hmm. every time they faced a bad team, they treated them like a bad team. Yeah, I'd say, you know, <laughs> it's funny you bring up that DePaul game. You look at a lot of Providence's games against the lower six in the in the conference, and they're beating them the way that they're supposed to beat them. Now, mind you that, you know, there's a loss to St. John's in there, and you only beat Villanova by five at Villanova. But more often than not, they've taken care of business in the way that the analytics have predicted them to and the way that the fans, you know, prefer them to. And that's the biggest difference between last year's team and this year's team is that last year's team, you know, you're on the road at St. John's and you're in a rock fight of three pointers, just going back and forth, back and forth to eventually win by four. Like that's not good for anybody. That's just terrible for my heart rate, terrible for the, the friars and analytics. That's why Ken Palm hated us. And you look at what happened this season and they're just, rolling over the teams that they're supposed to with minus a few exceptions. And it's just, it's been a refreshing change uh, year over year. So really, really pleasantly surprised with the way that has unfolded so far. Yeah. And it, but it makes the games easier to watch less yeah. heart, heart wrenchers. It's uh, <laughs> it's nice to not have to come on after a panic attack against the Paul. Like it's nice yeah. to be able to just be like, Hey, they're supposed to dominate this game. And they did essentially yep. from start to finish. Georgetown got off to a nice little start. And then the Friars went on a run controlled the game and that was it yeah and there was never really a doubt except for georgetown's brief little run to start the second half and that still only got it to 10 points so right. and at the end of the day it didn't matter because there was a point we were up 27 after that so it just yeah. just goes to show that the coaching chops of cooley this year and the talent of the players yeah and it's nice to see them respond this way after the uconn game i think the most disappointing thing looking back on that is kind of some of the performance on the inside and the, the lack of fight for rebounds. And some of that's bad luck, but some of it was just guys not going for loose balls. They didn't have an issue with that today. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> that one play at the end of the first half was just it, it, crazy. I don't know what other adjective to describe it with, but you, you've got Georgetown turning it over, Devin Carter stealing it, Providence turning it over, Noah Locke stealing It was just and you saw Cooley mouth some uh, explicit <laughs> explicit sayings to the coaching staff that was on national television, but it was just <laughs> a lot of diving for loose balls. Yeah, and that's it's what you want to see from this team at this point. They bounce back, big game Tuesday night. Man, it's, man, it's always Xavier in Providence late in the season. This is the fourth year in a row that the Friars have faced them in the last two weeks on a weeknight with big stakes. Yeah, it's just I get. This is a, a a growing, budding rivalry in the Big East Conference is Providence Xavier, and it's because of nothing other than these late February slash early March high implication battles at the dunk. I just I, man, I, I hope they they screw the 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 roof tight. There's no leaks. I I hope it's not warm out. Just do what you need to do and make sure keep the building out of it. Don't let don't let the amp. Yeah. Sorry, I called it the dunk. Don't let the amp do anything <laughs> to extend this game longer than it needs to be. No. No, and it's yeah. Um, I, I want to go back through the history of this real quick because you go back to our senior year, and that yeah. was the Lawan Pipkins game. Uh, that was the one where he had a, a couple shots late to seal it when Xavier was trying to make a push. Huge game. I think Xavier ended up losing to Butler that weekend. He then ended up 
losing. Yeah, uh, people people sleep on this. They lost to DePaul in the first round of the Big East tournament. No, in one I, of the two games that got played. <laughs> I remember. I was at the game. That was Xavier in. I guess it wasn't. They would have missed the tournament. Yeah, Xavier has been known for the past couple of seasons these late season collapses that involve losing a devastating game at the Big East tournament. You look at what happened with Butler last year. That knocked them out of yeah. NCAA tournament. It's always – you know what it is for Xavier. It's always a loss at Providence and a loss to Butler. And guess what? They they come to Providence and then they play Butler on Saturday. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> They're just Val's, – Val's sitting there just feeling like, hey, if you want to if you want to get in, you have to like to beat these demons. So – Yeah. And it's – let me tell you, like – you have to think Xavier's going to come in motivated because Zach Fremantle has been there for all three of those games we talked about. Yeah, uh, go the the other one in the middle in the the 2020-2021 season where they did it too. I think yeah. that's the second to was that that wasn't the pink out though. No, that, no, that was the pink out because that was when Noah Horkler had a, a the flying in uh, NBA 2K dunk off of uh, a Jared Bynum assist. That was that we beat the doors off of him uh, that game. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you're right. So that's and then you gotta think those guys are gonna be motivated. They're gonna yeah. be angry, and <sighs> Xavier's offense has given a lot, of, a lot of teams troubles. So if there's one team this year that I think has the right style matchup to come into the amp and win, I think it's Xavier because of that offense. The way we've seen Providence's defense have miscommunication issues, so it's gonna be a test. Yeah, this is a, a really big test because. Xavier is one of the teams on that list, uh, on that short list of teams that I don't want to see at MSG, and yet we we still got to play them again at home. So, and there's a decent chance you're gonna have to play them in MSG, depending on what happens. If yeah. the Friars, no matter what happens here, if the Friars win one game, they'll be in the the two or the three. If Xavier wins one game, they'll be in the two or the three. Both teams have home games next Saturday. They should take care of business there. So that means that if each one of these teams wins on Saturday, and then wins on Thursday of the Big East Tournament. They're playing each other on Friday. So we might get Xavier twice here in the next two weeks. Great. That's just what we need. <laughs> it's it's like 2017, 2018 all over again. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Which, yeah, that game, every time Providence and Xavier play, I feel like we get something crazy. And it's it's never a normal it's it is it is never a normal game when you play Xavier. You have to overcome a 19 point deficit in the Big East semifinals to to knock them off. You have to beat fifth ranked Xavier at the dunk with Kyron Cartwright with that eye issue where he couldn't <laughs> see uh, the pink out game yeah. where Horkler's going off. It's just a leaky roof, triple overtime. There have been now four overtimes in the last um, two Providence Xavier games. And the one before that was decided on a buzzer beater. So, yeah. Oh my God. It, now I'm here. Get your heart, get your heart medicine for Wednesday. My heart rate's higher now than it was during the entirety of that Georgetown <laughs> game. I'm now I'm thinking about during the COVID year when we played at Xavier and Greg Gant missed his, his defensive Side. blockout and Colby, Colby Jones, Jones. Hit, hit that game winner with less than a second left. It was just every matchup between Providence and Xavier is a movie and there's no reason to think that when Xavier comes to town on Wednesday that we're going to expect anything less than that. It's going to be a good one. That's that that potential for Piggy's game of the year right there. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to. 
that's I just I can't wait for this game. Yeah, and that's got to be the game of the week. Is it that or it's Villanova at UConn for the whole Big East? That's yeah. on Saturday. So, you know, you can have a lot of eyeballs Wednesday night. This is the time to to get some people to believe in you. Uh, one last thing we'll say before we before we go, AP poll. It'll come out tomorrow. Friars obviously lost to UConn. I'm assuming with this win, they stay in the top 25. I am too. I think it's going to be similar to when we lost to St. John's. I think we dropped to 23 or 24. I mean, the it's really a weird week because you lose by 20 at UConn, but then you win by 20 at Georgetown. I feel like kind of yeah. net out there. When a lot of teams around the Friars lost to Creighton, one spot ahead of them lost twice this week. So... It's um, yeah. It's, I think they'll they'll stay. I agree. I'm expecting a drop. I just I I, I don't think a, a losing at UConn is enough to drop us out because as we've seen the the voters, the metrics, everybody, even the the, the conference analysts, they're all high on UConn. So if that's a game that UConn's supposed to win, that shouldn't be too much of a slap on the wrist for the Friars. No, and we'll see. I mean, we know how inconsistent AP voters are. We're also at the time of year where. AP votes mean less than they ever have. We're two weeks away from the committee. Yeah, it's it doesn't really matter at this point, but I am curious what it'll be for the last week of the season. Um, And they do one for conference tournament week, right? They do this one. They do conference tournament week, and then they do a final ranking after conference tournament week, which means close to negative nothing, because at that point, the the field is already out. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we'll we'll see where the Friars are heading into the, the both tournaments as well hopefully they stay ranked you win two games this week you're going to stay ranked you win two games this week you're going to be second place in the big east top two finishing back-to-back years so good spot for ed cooley any final thoughts before we go joe no i mean i'm just this this is it this is the time of year where you know what is it it's february 26th in a couple of days i'm gonna have that cbs sports jingle playing for oh yeah the entirety of my house to wake up at six o'clock in the morning too (laughs) It's just, it's a very exciting time in college basketball. Happy with the win. I thought cool at the end of the game there. I just got to say, I feel bad for Patrick Ewing. You know, he is one of the greats in not just Georgetown history, but basketball history. So kind of stinks that, you know, things had to happen this way. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's sometimes it's a business. And if you keep losing like that and, and you put one of the most historic college basketball programs in the country on the map in the, such a negative light in the way that Georgetown has been perceived in, in the past two seasons, sometimes it, it's a necessary evil. So, yeah. Wish it could have gone out with a little bit more dignity, but it is what it is. Hey, he got two big East wins this year. Georgetown goes to Creighton this week. I don't think we're going to see that change, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, I, it's probably two and 18, which is a big step up from last year. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I mean, look at look at the progress here. You you more than doubled your win your wins. It's it's yeah, from zero to two. That's uh, unprecedented growth. Yeah, really incredible. So you know what? Yeah. He's actually he's done a lot in the past two seasons. Extension yeah. time. Yep. Yeah. You know, we say this, and then uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Georgetown on Friday of the Big East tournament, just because all of all of this the stuff that we're saying and all that's going on in the media. Watching them come out and, and advance to Friday. Just watch, watch that, watch them upset Villanova and send them into the NIT. That would be truly, truly hilarious. Um, yeah, and we'll see if, if Villanova would even be nationally invited. 
after that. Uh, it might not be. May not be. No. They'll have to win some games between now and then to make that happen. And they got two this week that are not guaranteed. So we'll see what happens. Friars to the big week ahead of them. They take this one in the nation's capital, 88-68 to 68 over Georgetown. Bounce back after the loss to UConn and win their fourth. No, this is their 13th biggest game. Mm-hmm. 13th biggest win of the season. Big stuff at Croswell, 25 and 13. Bynum, 18 points. Locke and Carter, 12 each in the victory. The Friars take this one. They'll be back Wednesday night, and I believe so will we. I think we're going to do a, a little post game show after that one. Yes, sir. That's. That's Joe Howie. I am Matt St. Jean, and as always, thank you for listening. Go Friars.